Hello, podcast listeners. Hope you're enjoying your day. You know, there's a lot of interesting news going on in, in particular with the CEOs today of a lot of these major companies that we all love and enjoy, okay? It's very rare that you'll hear a lot of articles about CEOs, but today there's just there just happens to be a lot. And so we're going to be covering all these topics about the CEOs of these companies. One has to do with Brian Cornell at Target and how they're continuing on with him being the CEO and they scrapped the retirement uh, age for the CEO. Okay, we'll cover a little bit more of that. Howard Schultz is speaking out about how he claims he will never return for a fourth stint for Starbucks. In my opinion, still think he might one day, but we'll talk about Howard Schultz, the CEO, former CEO of Starbucks and current intern intern for uh, Starbucks as well. Then Google CEO speaking out about how he hopes to make the company 20% more efficient and hints at a potential cuts for the company. We've spoken about these ideas in the past that he had, and now there's a little bit more details coming out with him speaking up a little bit today. And finally, there's more news on Elon Musk with the Delaware courts, and we are excited to be able to talk a little bit more about that, how the courts denies Musk request to delay Twitter trial, but approves requests to add whistleblower claims, which is big news for Elon Musk because we've talked about Elon in the past about this trial. And finally, we'll end with talking about Elon again because he's in the news on sustainable energy and how Elon Musk is backing fossil fuels and how one strategist is sending a warning over EV sales because of it. With that being said, as I always say at the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything on this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing in any companies as you're not guaranteed to make money in the stock market. I'm not giving you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. I do have small positions in both Target and Starbucks today, which we will be talking about in this podcast. They're very long-term positions for those companies. It's not financial advice to invest in them. Please do your own research. Talk to your professional advisors. They would know what they're doing and be able to help you with being able to make decisions. With that being said, this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. And let's begin today's podcast today. Target CEO Brian Cornell to stay on for three more years as company scraps retirement age. Target CEO Brian Cornell has agreed to stay on his role for about three more years as the retailer announced Wednesday that it's scrapping its retirement age of 65. Quote, we enthusiastically support his commitment and his continued leadership, especially considering his track record and the company's strong financial performance during his tenure. Monica Lo- Lozano, lead independent director of Target's board of directors, said in a news release, Cornell, who is 63, has been Target's chief executive since 2014. Under his leadership, the company has expanded its customers' base and built on its reputation as a discounter and unique and fashion-forward merchandise. But more recently, Target has grappled with huge shift in shopping habits with sales slowing and unwanted merchandise piling up. The company cut its forecast twice, but its quarterly profit fell nearly 90% in the three-month period ended July 30th as it tried to sell off its excessive inventory with deep discounts. Shares of the company are down about 29% so far this year. Separately on Wednesday, Target said author Valdez, chief supply chain and logistics officer, will retire. He'll be succeeded by Gretchen McCarthy, an 18-year-old Target veteran who is currently senior vice president of global inventory management. She will report to Target COO John Mulligan, effective immediately, as Valdez will serve as an advisory role through April. Led by Cornell, Target has launched numerous private brands, including for grocery, activewear, and home decor. It struck partnerships with prominent national brands, turning parts of its stores into many shops for Disney, Levi, uh, Levi Strass, and most recently, Ulta Beauty. 
It launched an e-commerce option, including curbside pickup and turned back of its stores into fulfillment centers that handled the vast majority of online orders. Those investments paid off during the COVID pandemic as Target remained open as essential retail and drew shoppers to its websites and stores. Before joining the retail, Cornell was the CEO of PepsiCo, American Foods, Walmart-owned Sam's Club, and Michael Stores. You know, if you are a Target shareholder right now, you're probably extremely happy with what Cornell has done, okay? Um, being a Target shareholder, I am pretty happy with what he did. And as a former employee of Target, I can say that what he's doing for Target, he's he's doing really, really well. And guaranteed, we can't see the future currently right now. But I believe that as long as Brian Cornell's in charge for the next three years, Target's going to potentially continue to do well, okay? Brian Cornell's a really, really smart guy, okay? I remember when I was working at Target, we used to have to always answer what was known as the red phone calls or something. I can't remember the full details, but there was a little red phone in the store that would go off. And in our microphones that we had, or, or walkie-talkies, I guess it was, it would go off and say, like, guests needed at you name it, right? And if it was in your area, you had to answer the call within, I think it was under a minute. Now they're making it so that all Target employees, and granted this was right before I left, they were making it so that all Target employees have a little phone on them now. And so if there's any phone calls, a Target employee can just answer it on their hip now instead of having to walk to a phone. Not only that, but now that all the phones have been replaced by iPads or some version of an iPad so that Guests can look up the stuff themselves and then go down the aisles to see if it's there, okay? It's it's made it so that the workers are more efficient at Target, while at the same time, the shoppers are being able to enjoy their experience with being able to find the products that they're looking for. Same with their online as well. The online side of things, it was interesting to see that transition happen within Target as well. And obviously, this was back in 2000, I think 2018 or 2019. It's been a while. But that transition allowed the company to be able to save a lot of time, at least with the online store, at least with the shoppers in particular, okay? And still, I don't get this either currently right now, but teenagers love shopping at Target as well. I mean, if you ever go to a Target, you might actually see some young people walking around a Target and just having a date night, I guess. I don't know why that's a trend, but it is. At least sometimes when I go into Targets, I can see that. But it's just interesting. Brian Cornell probably can continue leading this company in the right direction. What else he does in the future will be determined. And obviously, Wall Street will they'll, they'll vote with their money, obviously. But Target, in my opinion, as long as Brian Cornell is CEO, you're, you're not guaranteed, but you might be able to make some money with him as the CEO. This isn't financial advice, obviously. Just my opinion, just from observing how Target's been run. Because he's done all the right things. He did a lot of bad things in 2015 with the expansion to Target, I believe it was. But he's virtually recovered from that. And he continues to make Target just a very valuable company overall. So but it's also interesting that they're scrapping the retirement age. It means that they probably want him to try to stay around as long as possible because Target's just been so profitable with him as in charge. So keep an eye out for Target. Target might continue to grow under Brian Cornell. After these next three years, you have to be questioned about who's going to take a spot, but pay attention. Who knows what can happen? On about CEOs who don't planning on coming back anytime soon. Outgoing Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz says he won't return for a fourth stint. Okay. Outgoing Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz says that he will never return to the top job after the coffee giant announced a new succession plan last week. Quote, I'm never coming back again because we found the right person, he said on Wednesday to CNBC Squawk Box. 
Laxman uh, Naris Himhan, if I said his name wrong, I'm sorry, who is currently CEO of Lysone owner Red, Redkit, will join the coffee company in October and will take the reins in April. Schultz will remain on Starbucks board and Narsim Han succeeds him as the act as the advisor. Schultz, 69, returned to Starbucks for his third stint as CEO in April after Kevin Johnson retired, despite speculation that Wall Street and industrial insider Schultz helped firm to his promote and his current stretch would just be temporary. When Johnson announced his retirement, Schultz said he had previously had no plans to return to Starbucks. He served as CEO from 1986 till 2000, growing the Seattle coffee chain into an industry giant, and again in 2008 to 2017. He also publicly weighed a potential run for president ahead of the 2020 election. While Nayrush Simhan hasn't officially joined Starbucks yet, Schultz told CNBC Andrew Loss Sorkin that he's gotten to know his successor very well over the last few months before leading a turnaround at Reckitt, uh, Nayra Sehan held different roles at PepsiCo and consulting firm McKinsey. The new incoming CEO appointed received a muted reaction from Wall Street. Schultz's prior department announcements in late 2016 resulted in double-digit decline for the stock price. Starbucks will hold an investor day in Seattle on Tuesday when the company is expected to unveil more details about the reinvented plan crafted by Schultz. Okay. I've mentioned this in the past, okay? And we just talked about it with the, a little bit with the Target CEO too. He's a former PepsiCo guy too, okay? I often wonder if PepsiCo is really good at forming the leaders of future businesses because I have a theory, okay? And the theory is this. If you're if you're a former CEO or if any if you, at any point in your career you've worked with PepsiCo, PepsiCo seems to understand how to create the CEOs, okay? Now, granted, the new incoming CEO for Starbucks, we're going to have to see if he's lives to that trend. Obviously, Brian Cornell has for Target. But it's just something to pay attention to because I've mentioned this in the past. Pepsi, former Pepsi CEOs or former anyone who's worked in higher ups of Pepsi, they tend to be really good CEOs for companies, especially when it comes to making money. Now, maybe Howard Schultz is completely wrong and the, and the new incoming CEO is not as good. But Howard Schultz... You can't say never. You really can't. You've tried leaving in the past and it just hasn't worked out as well because Starbucks is still Starbucks. When people think of Starbucks, especially investors, they think of you, Howard Schultz, the the former CEO and owner who grew the company to what it is now. You've you've made Americans addicted to coffee now. I mean, heck, talking about Target, that's one thing Brian Cornell did was allow Starbucks to go into Targets. That's one reason why Target is so friendly because when you walk in, the first thing you smell is the coffee and you're like, ooh, this is going to be a fun shopping experience as you buy your latte and walk around the star, uh, the Target to be able to go shopping. But it's going to be interesting to see how things go for Starbucks going forward. I think the new CEO might be able to do things. It'll take time to tell. But... I also wouldn't be surprised either because here's the thing. Pepsi, for instance, they have, I believe they have their own coffee brands, but they don't have like what Coke does. Coke and Pepsi tend to do very similar things. Now, granted, Pepsi does have the chips department as well, like Cheetos and I think they own Doritos as well. I can't remember all the products you own or at least PepsiCo owns. They own a lot of the snacking industry as well. Coke though is 100% in drinks. Okay. But one thing Coke made a purchase a few years back is they bought a coffee chain called Costa Coffee. Costa Coffee is 
pretty much like the rival of Starbucks coffee. And then this is just the theory. Maybe potentially there's going to be like Pepsi and Starbucks are going to get together to start competing with Coke and Costa Coffee because technically Coke now owns all the Costa Coffee locations as well. Or maybe, just maybe, it's just food for thought. What if Pepsi buys out Starbucks? In all seriousness, what that that could potentially happen. It'd make things really interesting for PepsiCo and really interesting to see what happens with the Starbucks. But I do expect some partnerships to happen. And I'm not saying this will happen, but there's always a chance, not a 100% chance, but a high probability that Pepsi could buy Starbucks. And you, you'll hear it here first. No one's talking about it currently. It's just my thoughts and opinions. It'd be very interesting to see if that relationship does happen between these two companies. But there will be some interaction between Pepsi and Starbucks. I can tell you that much. What it is, though, is going to be yet to seen, but we'll pay attention. Google CEO says he hopes to make the company 20% more efficient, hence at potential cuts. Okay. Uh, Google and Alphabet CEO Sonder Pichai has said he wants to make the company 20% more efficient and it could include headcount cuts as it reckons with the slew of economic challenges as well as years of rapid hiring. Speaking at a code conference in Los Angeles, Pichai gave more details about how he's thinking about making the company run more efficiently ahead of economic uncertainty and a broader slowdown in ad spending of which Google and the largest beneficiary to date. The more we try to understand the macroeconomic, we feel that very uncertainty about Pichai said on stage Tuesday, or is it Pai Chai? Pai Chai? Sorry if I'm saying his name wrong. I'm just going to call him Pichai right now. The macroeconomic performance is correlated to ad spend, consumer spent, and so on, he added. While he said there's few macroeconomic factors as outside of his control, Pakai acknowledged that the company has become slower after its headcount balloon. Quote, we want to make sure as a company, when you have fewer resources than before, you are prioritizing all the rights to be working on and your employees are really productive and they can actually have impact on things that are working on so that that's what we're spending our time on. Host Kara Swisher asked the CEO how he planned to make the company more efficient, citing Simplicity Spirit, a recent internal project launched to refocus the growing company and get better results faster, as first reported by CBNC in July. While revenue is still growing, the effort came after the company reported its second consecutive quarter of weaker-than-expected earnings and revenue. However, prior to that, employees nearly in the year had given the company's leadership particularly poor remarks on pay, promotions, and execution, citing the company's growing bureaucracy, which executives acknowledged at the time. Quote, across everything we do, we have we can be slower to make decisions, uh, Pakai said Tuesday. You look at two end to end and figure out how to make the company 20% more productive. Pakai also gave more specific examples of how he hopes to do that. He gave a past example of aligning YouTube music and Google Play music into one product. Quote, sometimes there are areas to make progress where you have three people making decisions, understanding that and bringing it down to two or one improves efficiency by 20%. He gave in another example. In a July all-hands meeting, HR chief uh, acknowledged industrial-wide concerns about layoffs, but said the company at the time was not currently looking at reduced Google workforce. She said, however, we can't be sure about the economy in the future. And then last thing we'll see is this host Kara Fisher pointed out the common term associated with Google employees working at the company for a long time called Rest Invest, which is depicted in all six seasons of HBO fi- fictional show Silicon Valley, which referred to Google-like company as Huli. I don't know what that means, but don't pay attention to a lot of television dramas. But <clears throat> I will say this about Google right now. Google ads are huge, especially for companies, small, small, small companies, okay? 
this podcast in particular, right? Like if I really wanted to, I could grow my podcast on Google and try to get ads spent to get the number one spot for stock market observation. However, if you currently Google stock market observation, I believe we are still number one on Google search. Could be wrong, but that was all organic growth, okay? A lot of small businesses rely on Google. And when you have an economic downturn, small businesses aren't going to be spending a lot on ads. We've actually talked about that in the past, how small businesses are not using as many ads, which is kind of ironic because we talked about yesterday in particular on yesterday's podcast, I'd advise go listening to it if you can, that Apple was was catching up to both Google and Facebook when it came to advertising. But Apple's advertising is a little bit different than Google's and Facebook. Google and Facebook advertising, you can pretty much pinpoint what you're looking for in the ads. And I'm sure Apple's the same way too, but Apple makes their ad revenue from apps, okay? You look up an app these days and they'll give you a bunch of other options to look at for apps you might want to download, okay? Here's the thing. Google's had a lot of problems recently. And maybe Google's finally hitting that stage that Jeff Bezos claims one day will happen to even his company, Amazon, where it will fail one day. Maybe Google has just gotten to a point that it's so big that it's just hard for them to grow at this point. Or maybe, just maybe, like for instance, they want to combine YouTube music and Google music. Maybe they're going to have to combine the, the podcast sector as well. I mean, it makes things more interesting overall, but they got to find new ways if they want to be able to grow. If not, then Google's going to be hurting again in the future. But Google might be able to figure it out. It just will take time overall. But the efficiency of the company, that just might be a cultural thing. That might be from the top down based off culture. And so they have to look at every angle in order to figure out this issue that Google wants to be able to make more money going forward. On to Elon Musk in the last two articles we read today. It says, Delaware court denies Musk request to delay Twitter trial, but approves request to add whistleblower claims. A Delaware court denied Elon Musk request to delay the trial over his attempts to abandon the $44 billion deal to buy Twitter, according to a new filing released Wednesday. But the billionaire Tesla CEO will be allowed to add claims from a Twitter whistleblower to his countersuit, Chancellor Kathleen McCormick ruled. The trial is expected to begin October 17th, earlier than the mid-November date. Musk's team requested it late. It correction. Musk team requested in its latest push. Quote, I previously rejected defendants' arguments in the response to Twitter motion to expedite, making clear that the longer the delay until trial, the greater the risk of irreparable harm to Twitter, McCormick wrote. I am convinced that even four weeks delay would risk further harm to Twitter to greatly to justify. Still, McCormick said Musk's request to amend his counterclaim clears the relatively low bar of the court's rulings for doing so. Musk lawyers asked to add claims relative to the whistleblower complaint recently made public by Twitter's former head of secretary, uh, Katko, Zat, sorry, Zatko, Musk team argued the complaint, which detailed that Zatko alleged that in generous security failings by the company, which show Twitter breached in terms of merger agreement, if true. Shortly as Zatko allegations became public, Twitter CEO Parag, Agarwal said in a memo to employees first reported by CNN that while they're still reviewing the complaint, it is a false narrative that is riddled with inconsistencies and inaccuracies and presented within improper context. Musk originally said he wanted to exit deal because he received insufficient reassurance from Twitter that the percentage of its monetizable users that are actually spam accounts. You know, we're going to pay attention to this trial when the time comes. 
in all seriousness, because it will determine the fate of Twitter. I still believe Twitter was going under. And if Elon Musk hadn't made the comments about buying Twitter, I think we'd be hearing news right now that Twitter was going bankrupt. And all honestly, they pushed that deal so fast. And now they're trying to make sure that the deal goes through. I mean, I still think Elon's going to end up buying out Twitter in the end, but I honestly believe that Twitter's been lying. And all honestly, I mean, we just read a report recently from Bed Bath & Beyond that there were some allegations given of false numbers. And maybe Twitter's been doing the same thing. I think Elon Musk is going to win this trial in the end. And I still think he'll end up buying Twitter. could be wrong, but we'll pay attention to it. And the only reason we're going to pay attention to it is because I know come October, if you guys watch CNBC in October when the trial's happening, all cameras are going to be pointing to the trial potentially. And they're not going to talk about anything else in the market. But we'll continue to talk about what we can on this podcast just to get the news out there. Last thing we'll talk about Elon Musk because we always got to talk a little bit about oil because that's the big thing these days. As Elon Musk, Elon Musk basks backs fossil fuels, one of the strategists sends a warning over EV sales. Okay. Recent comments from Elon Musk about the need for more oil and gas reflect a broad and concern that the uptake of electric vehicles will hampered by the rising electric prices, according to the head of rising equity strategy at Saxo Box Bank. Speaking to CNBC Street Signs Europe on Tuesday morning, Peter Garni said car manufacturers would be facing headwinds going forward. Quote, we see that in 12 months trailing auto sales figures coming out of the U.S. and Europe, and they're coming down. They're coming down pretty hard in Europe. One electrical vehicle front, Garnar, noted that while the segment was still expanding, expanding rapidly, there was also areas of political concern. Quote, I don't think that it was a coincidence that if you had Elon Musk in Stavanger in Norway talking about, please don't decommission any more nuclear plants. You know, we need oil and gas to do clean transition. We need that bridge. And I think he very well, he's very well aware that you cannot sell a lot of electric vehicles without electric prices going through the roof right now. Quote, I mean, the cost advantage for electric vehicles versus gasoline cars fast diminishing here in Europe. And I'm really wondering to what degree that will be an impact sales for EVs. Garney's remarks refer to a recent interview from Musk gave at the ONS 2022 conference in Norway, in which he offered up his opinion on fossil fuels and the wider energy transition. Quote, I'm actually am not someone who would tend to sort of demonize oil and gas, to be clear, Musk said. This is necessary right now, or civilization could not function. And at this time, I think we actually need more oil and gas, not less but simultaneously moving as fast as we can to a more sustainable energy economy, the Tesla chief went on to state. Musk, who also stressed the importance of renewables such as hydro, solar, geothermal, and wind, later described himself as a pro-nuclear, and he said we should really keep going with the nuclear plants. With European economies facing energy crisis and soaring prices over the coming months, there have been concerns in some quarters that the increasing cost of charging the EV will de-incentivize taking up customers or correcting uptake among consumers. In the UK, at least, many discussions about the cost of charging electric vehicle have taken place in recent week, especially with regulator, uh, I believe it's Offgem, hiked up the energy price cap. The UK's new prime minister, Liz Truss, is set to, to announce a support package to address the cost of living crisis in, in, immediately, meaning that the overall effect of Offgem's decision was still uncertain. Here's the thing, okay? For those of you who are living in California, okay, yesterday I received a flex alert. I did. I remember this. I was at home. I just got home from coaching volleyball and my phone goes off for a little announcement saying, please make sure to conserve energy as the power grid is reaching full strain. Okay. 
in California right now, we don't have a lot of energy right now. We don't. We have rolling blackouts that are happening in the state right now. Okay. I totally agree with Elon Musk. And I've been saying it a long time ago in this podcast. We are a nation and a world that depends on oil and gas. Okay. Whether we use it for energy or not in the future is a completely other story. But oil and gas will, and I can't say never disappear. That's too extreme. But I can say oil and gas will have some part of society in some way, shape, or form. Okay. But we need energy overall. Okay. The lovely governor of California has decommissioned, I believe, a lot of plants, or maybe that was former President Obama. I can't remember all the details. But there has been a lot of pl- a lot of energy problems in California. Okay. In fact, the other thing too is in California, they had signed a bill. Governor, I know this one for for sure. Governor Newsom signed a bill saying that they would ban all gas cars in 10 years. And then I think it was the next day they said, oh, uh, Electric car people, uh, please stop plugging your cars because the grid can't handle it, okay? Here's the thing. We are going to be a nation that's going to need to consume way more energy, okay? Think of it this way too. 5G, I believe, just came out and now they're talking about making 6G, which means you need more power in the making. We're always going to be a potential nation that's going to be consuming more energy. In fact, a lot of com- a lot of countries around the world are going to want to consume more energy as well. We need more energy. We do. And I totally agree with Elon Musk. We need more oil and gas around the world. Oil and gas markets are will somehow be a part of our future in what regard is yet to be seen. But it's somewhat clear right now, we need more energy. And when Elon Musk is talking about it, but no one's talking about Elon Musk, instead, instead they're talking about how in California, there's rolling blackouts happening. I don't hear of any other states that are having this issue right now. California is, which is pretty dumb if you think about it. We need more energy. We need to start drilling for more for oil. But we also can't, apparently, in this country because Joe Biden keeps signing new legislation that says we can't drill. So, got to get the word out there, people. Got to keep talking on this podcast so that people know exactly what's happening with markets because markets and politics are sometimes intertwined. But I do agree with Elon Musk. We do need more energy. And oil and gas might be the solution to that. So with that being said, fellow podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast as every like and subscription help grow this podcast so we can be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street that Wall Street isn't always willing to be able to talk about. I'm going to give a quick shout out today too to my most recent people who have been following my podcast. We've recently hit Sweden. We're in Sweden now. And apparently, as the at the time of this recording, this podcast, we just hit number seven on Sweden, the top 150, I believe, in podcasts. So thank you, subscribers from Sweden. Spread the word about our podcast so we can be able to keep growing this podcast. Share with friends or family as they might enjoy this podcast as well going forward. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast today. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>